0: Have you ever come across an odd myth, strange story, weird history, or something that just made you scratch your head and say to yourself, you know, I'd love to know a little bit more about that? Well, you're in luck, and you're in the right place listening to the right podcast, because this is the story of. to the next episode of the story of podcast. I am
1: Smith. I am Joe. And this is Mike. What's going on, fellas? How how, how is everybody? Living the dream, boy. Living the dream.
2: Cold. It's cold up in New York, Smith. Yes, it is.
1: Yeah. It's cold
0: down here, but cold down here is like 20s and teens. So you know, but I don't really care where you are, man. Twenty you know, it's fucking twenty degrees is cold. I don't give a shit. You cold live in fucking cold. south. i yeah, cold is cold, so and yeah, is hot. And hot is hot. Yeah, it gets fucking hot down here for sure, man. That's that's no joke. Yeah, so cool. So we decided this week we went with interesting, funny, odd uh sports scandals, players, whatever you want to call it, right? Some you know, some shenanigans. Uh, dealing with with sports and, and sports-related stories. So without further ado, we will hand the mic over to, not Mike, but Joe. All right, Joe, start us off, Kim.
2: Well, everyone, um, I took a pretty easy path on this, and I didn't think I was going to, but I went into the uh, NFL concussion storyline scandal, and I learned a lot of cool scientific stuff that I didn't know about. Because I am a scientist. I was going to say, um, I do you not
0: know about that. You're a scientist. Yeah,
2: it's mostly medical stuff. I'm not a medical scientist. Medical Fucking doctor. slacker. Yeah, sorry. So teach you a little bit about concussions. A little bit about CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Mm-hmm. Um, but more so, just like what the NFL did and is still doing to just Cover. I don't know if they're covering it up or just dismissing it and and just acting like there's no link, there's no correlation to this stuff. It's it's kind of crazy. uh And I'm you know I'm coming at this. I I am an NFL fan. I I love sports. I love watching football. I love playing football. You play football? No, like you know just play. Yeah, he plays like, like
1: Madden on the, on the Xbox, right? No, <laughs> that's why I kept <laughs> that's playing football. We're we're all in our forties,
0: none of us are playing football, Joe. What the fuck I are I'm you a talking
2: about? I'm gig. I didn't tell you guys. I'm like uh you know. <laughs> the
0: f- science teacher flag football league. Football I should player. say we should start
1: a flag football team. Smith, you're gonna have to come up here for it. Every no, week I can't do it.
2: No, it's Joe. Hey,
1: Joe. Can you hear it's Joe, me?
2: other Joe. Can you hear me? Can yes, you we hear can me? hear you. We can hear you. Yes. Yeah, okay, we hear you. well, look, I'm coming in for a quick second. I just had a question. Do you know why you can't hear a pterodactyl go to the bathroom? Because the P
0: is silent.
2: Thanks for ruining the joke, Dan. You're supposed to let me answer
1: it, and it would have
2: been great on the
1: pod to drop it and leave like I have to leave. But I just wanted to pop in and say hello real quick.
2: Um... With that being said, I went on Amazon today. I ordered a chicken and an egg, and I'll let you know who comes first. See you later. <laughs> that was that was pretty good. good. That was pretty nice. That was, ladies and gentlemen, Joe. <laughs> All right,
0: Bravo, Joey, Bravo, Camps. Bro, bro. Joe, Joey Camps. Joey uh, Camps. Continue with your your flag football. So,
2: me. <laughs> let me let me throw a uh, a, a, a real big. Long time ago, throwback for you, middle school maybe. That it was Columbus Day, and you called me up and you're like, "Yo, we're playing football at that empty field on New Horizons by Wellwood Avenue."
0: It's where we always played. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. We always played there. Now it's like a giant, like fucking electrical, uh,
2: Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, plant shit. It's fucking horrible. Wait, wait, no, wait. Did you really come down and play? Yeah, I did. I think once or twice, but it was funny. Like as I was researching this and and thinking of the podcast, I was like, oh, wait, we, we played oh, that shit. football dude, like once or twice together. We played we at, playing, at, like, on Wellwood Avenue. Do you remember yeah, that? Like, yeah. That yeah.
0: <laughs> and if and if Bill was here, Bill and I played at that lot. We called it the lot every fucking lot. weekend. We played there. We called it the lot. It was insane. And when you would score a really nice touchdown, cars would drive past and honk at you and the beep, beep. You know what I mean? Like if you made like a diving catch, it'd be like honk, honk, and it was fucking sweet.
2: Wow, Joe played at the lot. That's fucking sweet. Yeah, so I just brought back some memories. I, I thought yeah, of, yeah. that's what I meant when I said I like playing football. I like oh, playing football. Okay. 30 years ago. Yeah, 30 years ago. Fair enough.
1: <laughs> Fair enough.
0: Fair enough. Okay. All right. Now we all that that makes much more sense then. Okay, continue. Don't. Continue sir.
2: All right. So we all know football, especially you know tackle football, the NFL, is a pretty violent uh, sport, and I think we all mm. enjoy that, and we know that there are definitely injuries involved with that. One of the biggest things was concussions. Players were getting concussions very often. It was kind of just part of the game, and then they were being thrown back in the game and, and whatever else. In the mid-90s, the NFL themselves set up a committee. It was called the Mild Traumatic Brain Injury Committee, the MTBI.
0: Which is such bullshit, because traumatic brain well, it injury. was
2: mild, injury. right? It was yeah. the mild traumatic brain injury. So it was their way of saying, hey, we have some doctors who work for us, and uh, we're looking into concussions and this and that. And this is mid-90s, like I said, 1994. Now, the doctors they had working for them were team doctors, and the head of the committee was a rheumatologist. And if you don't know, a rheumatologist... Isn't that arthritis? Arthritis, right, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they had an arthritis doctor heading a committee about concussions. So, mm. you know, he was a doctor for sure. He, he was, but, you
0: know. Clearly they were serious about...
2: Very serious.
0: Know, yeah, they were clearly serious about this
1: situation. They should have probably just had a podiatrist instead. At least Why not a gynecologist? Me. I mean, for real. You about
0: know what I mean? Get it, just
1: it.
2: <laughs> well, it gets even better. Like They had some team doctors, but they also had somebody who was just like the equipment manager, and he was on the committee too. <laughs> oh my god. So yeah, they're <laughs> taking this really seriously. <laughs> it's not funny, but it is. Yeah. I know, it's kind of it scary is. funny, right? Yeah. So they start publishing papers. They, they're they publishing scientific papers, and they're pu- they're publishing them in real journals, and they're saying that, you know, even though concussions happen... There's really no major problem with it, and, and players can go back to playing, and there's no long term effects, and, and this and that. And we have, you know, our, our group of scientists, doctors that say it's okay. So it's okay. Now, the journals they're getting published in are reputable journals, but these journals have ties to the NFL as well. Uh, so, I was going to
0: say, like, what fucking kind of journals like? are putting that out?
2: Yeah, it's not like, you know, JAMA or, or anything like that. It's the, the journal uh, Neurosurgery, whose editor-in-chief used to work for the New York Giants. So, Can I just, I just want to pop
1: in there real quick. I just want to just teach you something that I, I've learned in my years of science and the things. And doing what I do, I've learned to, and I was taught in school how to really look at studies and look and see Who's funding these studies? Where are these things Mm -hmm. being published? Um, What are their credentials? All these things come into play, and it's even very important with everything that we have going on today in society, and everything that was going on with the COVID vaccines, and you know, people questioning things, and everyone became their own doctor and their own scientist, and they're doing their independent research, and spoons are sticking to them. I did my own research. Yes, this is the insanity that goes on, and. People don't really understand how this is actually being done. And you have – and literally, like, I didn't know it. I It had to be taught to me to understand – how to understand mm-hmm. the literature that's being put out there. Yep. Any asshole can fucking publish a paper yep. and say, oh, well, I did a study and blah, 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 blah. There's all statistics and yep. all the important information that goes into those studies. And they're done for a reason to show that there is a st- statistical significant difference – in the research that they've found. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not unlike when you are reading a published paper on economics or foreign policy yep. or domestic policy, it's the same situation who's funding it. Is it the Koch brothers that are funding it? Right. Is it yep. big oil that is funding it? Cause big oil right. tends to fund quite a few papers and research papers that talks about how not bad for the environment fossil fuels
1: are. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And then you gotta you follow the money, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the, the key is to follow where that money is coming from. And you, when you look and see, you know, any, any sort of, would you, you know, if you pick up the uh, New England Journal of Medicine and you look and e- they give you a disclosure of the people that are in there, where they work, what their credentials are, and if they are being paid by anybody to do that study, yeah. it all has to be disclosed in order to kind of validate the study itself. Of course. Yeah. So, reliability. So- yeah, well, Mike,
2: exactly. Spoken like a man of science. I appreciate it. I, I actually I have a publication as well one during when I did research in graduate school um in a real journal sure. too. Um Show sure. off. yeah, everything Mike's talking about is correct and and when you go through a publication process, when you go through um in especially in science research, the ethics of disclosing all information, uh, reporting all findings, stuff like that is really super critical because you know there's funding of course but really when it gets down to the science of it you want other scientists to follow your work and if you leave information out you know then then you're misleading people too you're not telling them the other side of the story and and things like that so you
0: can't cast Um, out on your own
2: Yeah. yeah yeah so yeah it's it's funny because Like I said, this was a committee. They were MD doctors on this committee. That sounds good. They were in a medical journal. That sounds good. Uh, But then you read more into it, like Mike said, and you you follow the trail and you see like, oh, wait a second. They were team doctors being paid by the NFL. So, yeah, it's kind of weird. (laughs) It's kind of, you know, uh, a little shady.
0: Who were most likely who were chosen specifically, right? I mean, it's not like a, a random choice of this doctor and this doctor. I'm sure these were the real diehard, most trustworthy, um,
1: you know, for the brand, you know. Uh, oh, the company know. line, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure. And another, another thing to also consider too, whenever you're looking at these doctors and, listen, where did they go to school? Where is their education? And I always tell people that, you know, you don't know when you're going to see a healthcare care professional. Are you going to see someone that's graduated at the top of their class or the person that graduated at the bottom? Yeah. You don't know. No one's disclosing where they finished. Yeah. The, the University of American Samoa. You know, people go to school in Grenada to become doctors. Okay, listen, I have no problem with that. There's nothing wrong with it. But there's also a reason why they couldn't get into a medical school here. Yeah, exactly. And the same same thing with a lot of these doctors that, you know, they finish up med school and they don't go on and do residencies and specialties. There's a reason for that. They end up working in walk-in clinics and then, you know, they're still doctors. Some of them are very good and some of them just, they're not. Yeah. So it's just something to also keep in mind. Sorry to.
2: No, it's good. It's true. And, you know, like I said, I'm a man of science myself, so it's good to get this out there because a lot of people don't know this kind of stuff and they just they just follow a degree they just say oh he's got an md so i, I know what he, he knows what he's doing yeah or he must be smarter, he's got a phd yeah. he knows what he's talking about and things like that and it's like
0: reminds me of that that old commercial where they were giving away like i don't know some sort of free medicine and they this lady's like it's free it must be good and i, I just i always remember that 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 commercial anyways continue joe
2: all right. So the NFL says yes, there's concussions, but no, it's not really a big deal. Let's just move on.
0: Nothing to see here.
2: That in 2002, there was a player named Mike Webster. He played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, he was called Iron Mike Webster. He was a center, and he ends up dying uh, around in the in his 50s, so fairly young. So he's sent to the coroner's office, and they do an autopsy on him. And the doctor assigned that day is this Nigerian doctor named Doctor Bennett Amalu, and he just gets the case to do you know do the autopsy. He does the he doesn't know who this guy is Will Smith. Was eventually, Will Smith. Yep.
0: <laughs> yes. Okay. Just making sure.
2: He's just doing you know
1: is that uh, pre-slap or. <laughs>
0: i'm sorry i gotta i gotta throw this one of this one of my students the other day they were like yo mr smith they're making a bad boys for and i was like come on is chris rock the bad guy (laughs) like it's gotta be the bad guy you know it's gotta be a
1: revenge flick anyways i'm sorry keep going
2: that's good that's funny
1: it'd be funny if if chris rock was then like part of the cops (laughs) and he actually slaps will smith in the movie that would be i would go see it right now i would go see that
2: uh dr omalu notices that during the autopsy like there were some signs that you know something wasn't right here. This this there's a guy in his fifties and and his brain tissue uh looked very old, very, very old, like older than somebody in their 50s should have. So he saves the brain, he and he he uh I forget what they call it, but like he dissects the brain a little more and looks into it a little more. And he finds CTE, this chronic uh traumatic encephalopathy in the brain. And he said, "Oh, this is strange. We, you know, we don't usually see this in people this young. I'm just going to report it." So he he publishes a paper in it, just saying, "Like, hey, this this guy had it, and uh, you know, it's something to look into. It's it's interesting that somebody this young would have this much uh, traumatic brain injury." Right away, the NFL comes out against him. He's like, "Hey, you 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 got to retract that paper. Uh, that's that's you're just making false claims." You know, you don't know what that's from and blah, blah, blah. And you can't be accusing stuff. And he's like, listen, I'm just publishing what I found. Like this, this is the knowledge, like me and Mike were just saying, this is the scientific knowledge we have. We're just putting it out there.
0: Here's the observation,
2: you know, and the NFL is, is fighting this guy nonstop telling him, you know, your work, your work isn't real. Your work is speculative. You're not proving anything, blah, blah, blah. So now the, the case starts taking off and this is the early 2000s now. And they notice more and more former NFL players who have died or, uh, from suicide from, uh, or are suffering depression and then died and things like that, and they're dissecting their brains, they find more and more cases of CTE. So finally, the, the link is kind of made that former football players who are dying early and have these symptoms are showing CTE in their autopsies afterwards. So yeah. there, is, there is a correlation between playing professional football and CTE deaths. And the NFL goes crazy. The NFL says, you know, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. This isn't true, blah, 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 blah. We have our own panel of scientists. They've disproved this stuff. Uh, you know, there's other influential factors, like they. You know, the players take steroids, and the players have a, an extreme workout routine. And there's so many other things that could cause... Was it, it's not necessarily the football. Mm. And they're like, all right, well, you're getting concussions. You're getting a lot of concussions. You know, you're hitting each other on a daily basis. It's kind of a, a clear link. But the NFL is like, "Nope, it's not football's fault. There's, it, it could be anything else. It's not football. It's not football. So in 2007, Roger Goodell takes over as the commissioner. He forms a committee, a new committee or a summit on uh, concussions, he invites all the top doctors in the world to attend the committee, except Dr. Amalu. Dr. Amalu is not invited to this summit, which is very interesting.
0: Mm. So Gracious. he
2: said one, one of his colleagues instead, who's actually a former um, team doctor who, who like kind of switched sides and started working for Dr. Amalu. And again, the NFL is just like, okay. You know, thank you for your info, but that's your opinion. And uh, we're just going to move forward. You know, you, you really have no link to all this stuff. So, yeah, this just keeps going on for years and years and years. And the NFL is acknowledging that concussions happen. They they say that, but they're just saying, well, repeated concussions don't cause CTE. And there's no link between football and CTE. We know football is dangerous. But we're not going to put that together.
0: It's essentially, there's no long term effects, they're saying. So it's, they're, they're equating that to what, like stubbing your toe, you know, like uh, like multiple high ankle sprains is not going to cause brain damage, duh.
2: Well, they said, like, yeah, you can get a concussion, of course, but you, you know, you kind of walk it off, for lack of a better word. Like, you get a concussion, you rest, and then you go back to play, and that's okay.
0: There's, there's no there, there. That's what they're... Yeah, yeah, about, right? exactly. In, in political terms. There's no there there. Gotcha, okay.
2: One of their chief doctors is Dr. Ira Kassin, who I just looked up, actually. He works uh, in Rockville Center. He's still a practicing... He's a neurologist, at least, thankfully. He's not a rheumatologist. So yeah. he is a trained neurologist. <laughs> and this is the guy who goes to bat for the NFL. He's on all the TV interviews. He's the the voice saying there's no link. There's no link between yeah. concussions and CTE. There's no link between repeated concussion, blah, blah, blah. It's, like it's a nothing
0: disorder. burger. Yeah. yeah, they
2: call him Dr. No because he says, nope, nope, there's no link. There's no correlation. There's no this. Mm. So yeah, his, his exact quote was there's no evidence linking multiple head injuries to long-term neurological problems like depression, dementia, or early-onset Alzheimer's in NFL players. There's no link. So... So then, on the day of the 2009 Super Bowl, which was in Tampa Bay, another researcher named Dr. Ann McKee uh, rents out a hotel ballroom and sets up her own presentation on behalf of the families of former players that have died from CTE, and presents all the research showing the media, like, listen, wow. this is what's happening. You know, we this is as clear as we can make it.
0: She, may, she has her own media day.
2: Yeah. Wow. But it's on the day of the No better time to do it. Well. Mm-hmm. So, she, you know, it's a good idea, of course, but, like, nobody's there. There's, Great like, idea. two cameramen yeah. there. That's you
0: it. needed to do that a couple of days before.
2: Yeah. yeah so actually. I get okay. the point of it, and it was a good thought, but all the media attention is, you know, at the football stadium. It's not in the hotel lobby.
0: Execution could have been better. Yep.
1: Unfortunately. Okay.
2: Yeah, they, they dismiss her as well. They're like, yep, yeah, that's no correlation, this and that. So finally, Roger Goodell is under so much pressure. He says, all right, we're going to get rid of our little committee. And we're going to go directly to the National Institute of Health, the NIH. It's outside the NFL. We're going to go to them. We're going to give them money. And they'll do the research. And whatever they say, you know, they say. And it'll come out. And the NIH is like, all right, cool. Thank you. You know, we'll, we'll take it on. And then in a few years, the NIH backs out of it and says, we're going to return your money because you're harassing us. You, you want to influence our results and we're not going <laughs> along with it anymore. So <laughs> we're done wow. working with you. And they actually returned half the money.
0: They, they wanted them to kind of follow a script,
2: maybe? Maybe. I think I heard somebody talking about that.
0: Interesting. All right, Interesting. We'll touch upon that later. Okay.
2: But it was really cool. It kind of... You know, reinvigorates your faith in some like real science. Like the NIH is a very prestigious group of people. And they had the backbone to stand up and say, listen, we're not doing this. Like Yeah We we want your money, of course, but like we're not buying into this. So if you're not gonna let us do our work, here's your money. We don't want any part of it anymore. In 2013, the NFL loses a a settlement case or they they settle a case, they don't lose it, they settle a case for seven hundred and sixty-five million dollars to former players or families of deceased players. And this is what I love. They actually put a dollar amount on this. And they said, if you got Alzheimer's as a result of football, you get $5 million. Mm-hmm. If you had a death in the family related to CTE, you get $4 million. Wow. But if you just have dementia, you only get $3 million. And that <sighs> was the settlement. Like That was, that was the payout.
0: They sat at a table and like and discussed this and yeah. like came to final numbers. You know what I mean? Like, like these are some real despicable, people. evil bags of fuck. Yeah, man.
2: Like, oh, you only have dementia for the rest of your life. You only get three wow. million. You're not as important as somebody with That's Alzheimer's just... disease. Like, it's fucking That's...
1: crazy. Wow, That'd be wild.
2: Now the NFL, and this is where, like, current day now, 2016, 2017, till till current times. They acknowledge concussions. They acknowledge it's dangerous. But they're just going to put out some PR, like, hey, make sure you wear your helmets. Make sure, you know, make sure you stay hydrated while you're playing, kids. Like, (laughs) it's fun. You know, just be careful.
0: And we have a protocol now.
2: Yeah. And... What's funny is, and I didn't even realize this until I was doing my research, like, you know, I'm a cyclist. Uh, I wear a bike helmet when I cycle. Uh, I've, played yeah, no. I've played sports. I've played sports <laughs> with helmets and stuff like that. Do you
0: wear spandex shorts?
2: I do. I wear tights. No, no you don't. <laughs> really? Yeah, you have to. You're going fast.
0: <laughs> do you wear, like, I'll send like, pictures. Do you pictures. Do you wear, like, the little, the little blinkers on you? Do no, you I like... don't wear
2: the little blinkers. Oh,
0: that's adorable. Do you, you, you wear the aerodynamic me. helmet that comes off to like a point Not at the end? No, no,
2: that's like <laughs> speed racing. I don't do that. I don't do that. Just regular. I was say if you had that helmet, you right now have to regular wear. protect my head helmet. That's it. Okay, right. I'm sorry. It's
0: the aerodynamic <laughs> helmet. Totally worth it. You got to get that in the glasses. Anyways, oh, glasses, go ahead.
2: Like, over your face like a space suit or something.
0: The live strong yeah. bracelet. Oh, well, yeah. that's
2: a scandal. That, that could be one of <laughs> our scandals we talk about. I,
0: I was, Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that. One of our
2: mentions, I think. You know what I never thought about, which I, I saw in the research, is the point of helmets, if you think about it, the point of a helmet is to prevent skull fracture. That's it. it it's not to prevent yeah. concussion. It's not to prevent brain injury. It's to prevent your skull from breaking. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. Yeah, like, yeah. duh. That makes sense. You know, people get concussions with helmets. All the time. Yeah. Traumatic
0: brain injury is very simple. I, I used to work with individuals that were, you know, that had traumatic brain injury. It's when your your brain rattles inside of your yep. head and yeah. bumps off the, you know what I'm saying? And that little bit causes traumatic brain injury. That's, that's, yep. it's a car accident. So you go forward, your okay. brain goes, you know what I mean? Yep. That's it. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's just to prevent the cracking of the skull, but your brain's going to fucking bang around right. inside so your head. Yeah.
2: So no helmet is going to really. Stop yeah. that, you know, yeah. really well. Just kind of
1: imagine your brain is sitting inside your skull and there's the, the cerebral spinal fluid just sitting around it. And that's kind of what cushions mm-hmm. the brain. So sudden movements back and forth don't affect it. It's just floating around in there. But once you have those hard yeah. hits and that brain is smashing into the front or smashing into the back, you know, you could watch any football game now and you see a guy take a hit and you're like, ooh,
2: you feel it right through the TV.
1: Yeah, you could see it, and you're like, wow. Like If you watch the, um, the 49ers versus the Eagles right before the Super Bowl, the quarterback, when he got tackled, I think it uh, uh, was it Johnson, Joe Johnson, I think was the quarterback. He was the backup to yeah. the backup. He was the fourth string guy. Mm-hmm. And if you see the way he hit the floor, he literally hit the floor, and his head popped back up and then, bam, yeah. right
2: back down. Yeah, bad. That's how you yeah. get a concussion. Yeah. Very easy. And I learned a little more, like I, we've always been presented that idea with concussions, which is true. like that that is how they work, but there's also another mechanism about, you know, the brain is is very like jelly, and just the brain moving and stretching, not even hitting your skull, but just the stretching of the brain causes brain injury too. That causes concussions. Mm-hmm. because, like you said, the brain hits like the front of your skull. well, that's not where a concussion happens. A concussion happens inside the center of the yep. brain. Yep. And they were like, well, how does that happen? Well, because it's stretching the brain as well. Wow. So I learned a lot of that science, which is really cool. But what the NFL does is they're like, all right, we're just going to, you know, we need new helmets. So let's just throw $60 million at new helmets. So over hmm. the past few years, you've, if you've been watching, you've seen players with yeah. thicker padding helmets or different designed helmets and blah, blah, blah. And again, that's great, but it's not going to prevent concussions. It's mm-hmm. not going to stop concussions. No.
0: Um it's not going to stop TBI either.
2: No. Or or CTE, yeah. It, it yeah. just throwing they're like they look good. They're throwing money at of it. They're like so. okay, this is what we're doing. Yeah. But it's not doing anything.
1: You know what I mean? I don't know if you guys had saw I I, I think it was either today or it was maybe even yesterday. The NFL dropped the stat out there saying that this past season they saw an 18% increase in concussions Jeez. this past season. it, it tells you Whatever they're doing is oh, no. really not
0: working. No, the, yeah, the helmets are not preventing anything.
1: No. And I, I thought it was it was good because the stat wasn't being handed out by somebody else. The NFL came straight forward and said, hey, listen, this is what we found this year. We saw more yeah. this year. Which I kind of give them a little credit for because at least they're yeah. not trying to hide yeah. it. I think at this point, too, they really shouldn't be.
2: I think now, too, because of all this negative press... You know, you if you watch a football game every every five minutes, there's a commercial break because, oh, it's concussion protocol. They got to check this guy out. Yeah. So they're checking a lot more now. So, yeah, obviously, I think their numbers are going to go up. They're checking for it when five or 10 years ago. They were just like, hey, sit down, drink some Gatorade and then get back out there. They weren't checking you. You know what I mean? Take two
0: aspirin and. and, and Yeah.
2: Or here's some adrenaline. Shoot them up and then and then send them back out. It's crazy. So, yeah, I, I believe the numbers are true, but I also believe, too, like I said, that, that they are looking for it now. So they're, it's kind of that PR move, like, hey.
0: Well, you get in front of it.
2: We see it happening, you know. The scary statistic that I'll end with is they, they've seen this in NFL players. They've seen this in college football players. And they've also seen this in high school football players. God damn. That's, that's really, really nerve-wracking, like a, a kid 17, 16 years old who, who happened to die, and they found CTE in his brain. Wow. It's fucking crazy. It's, it's really, really sad.
0: Well, it's, it's not surprising, though, because you know nowadays, the, the current climate and culture of youth sports, you see so much more specialization of sports where yeah. a, a, a kid plays one sport growing up and that's it. You know what I mean? You don't have many multi-athlete sports anymore. You know, yeah. you've got the kid that just plays baseball or just plays basketball or just plays football, right? And year so-
2: Year-round and, and started when they were five. and
0: Yeah, and in and, and baseball, you're starting to see uh, Tommy John surgeries at much younger ages because kids are, are, you know, these showcase pitchers are blowing out their elbows and their shoulders at like 15 years old. You know, there's, there's, I mean, it's insane, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. That makes sense.
2: It's it's really crazy. And like I said, we, you know, we, we all grew up playing sports. We love sports and it, you know, I I, am, I don't know if I would, if I would send my, my daughter, to play any sports, if 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 I knew this was a possibility, you know, and and football does get the blunt of it for sure, the brunt sure. of it. I'm sorry, um, but this occurs elsewhere. It occurs in hockey players. It occurs sometimes in baseball players, mm-hmm. and the other big, big, big one that we don't talk about for some reason is boxing. And boxing used to so of be course, yeah. the sport. Like boxing yeah. was bigger than everything before football. And they and those, you know, you look at Muhammad Ali, like. The dementia afterwards, and and the, the the I think he had Parkinson's too, I believe, yes. right? Yes, he did. Yeah. But yeah, they they used to call it. Oh, you, he was punch drunk. That's what it was. Yes. When you were punch drunk, no, it's like you were fucked up, man. Like you got yeah, punched you, in your face
0: repeatedly. Your brain damaged. Your you brain damaged. I mean, yeah, it's not give that a cute name and make it sound like it's yeah. a yeah. You fucking brain damaged, you Well, I mean, you also made the choice. I hate to say, it, but you made the choice to get punched in the face for a living as well. So. You know, it's it's like that new power slap league. That's fucking amazing.
1: Oh, that that is insane. Have you seen some of those?
0: Dana White and his rich friends, they can sit around and now they, they pay a bunch of poor people to flap each other in the face so they can laugh at them, you know, and make money off of it. That's what we're watching. But yeah, it's, it's, it's fucking nuts. Yeah.
1: murga. It, and yeah. it's Marga. funny you actually mentioned that because I was just going to say, I think one of the things we'll see going forward in our lives is you're going to start seeing all these CTE cases coming out with these MMA fighters. Oh, yeah. For sure. These For guys sure. are taking a beating. Like, there's no violence. tomorrow. Like, these guys are... There's going to be a whole bunch of that stuff coming eventually. I yeah. think that's... It's, the NFL is going to kind of, like, dangle it. Like, oh, these guys are beating the hell out of each other. Like, yep. go go look at them. Don't look at us. Yeah, don't look at us.
2: You know, it's, it's funny, because growing up with football and watching it my whole life, you're so used to it that you forget. But I was watching a documentary about this, and it it just showcased how... The NFL, the the violence of football is what they were selling you. They oh, they're yeah. constantly were showing you clips of hits. They were showing you helmets hitting each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Like
0: that was the selling. The point. two helmets coming across. the Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like
2: Monday Night Football, the two helmets collide. Uh-huh. Like, holy shit. Yeah. yeah it's
1: modern day gladiators to, to an yeah, extent. Yeah. Right. I don't know if you guys remember. There was a guy. He was a player for the Jets. His name was Dennis Bird.
0: Dennis Bird broke his neck. Yeah, it was at 92, 93, right around that area?
1: And he was paralyzed for a while. It was h- horrific to see happen, but you know he eventually recovered from it. And I mean, I don't know what he's doing now, but I'm sure he's
2: not anywhere close to what he used no, to be.
0: Not not a, a, an athlete of that caliber that it takes to get into, drafted in the NFL for sure.
2: Oh, yeah, no, yeah. The, exactly the talent or and the the stamina to do that. And you know, it's people debate like is this going to ruin the NFL? Is, is, is football going to end? And I ask myself, like, you know, what about those kids out there that are striving their whole life? Smith, like you just said, like they are training from day one to be the best football player to make hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Is this going to stop them? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's going to stop me. I know that, but.
0: And the NFL is too big to fail. So yeah, I agree. So it doesn't matter. It's not going to do, you know, what I mean, it's not going to change anything.
2: Super Bowl coming up in a week, you know, I'm still watching. I'm still going to like oh, yeah. it. Uh I just I guess I look at it a little differently. Now I look at the league yeah. a little differently. But uh yeah, it's kind of a sad state.
0: And the Bengals got robbed, so I'm just going to leave them yeah. there. <laughs> apparently <laughs> that uh yes, uh them winning was not part of the script apparently according to uh Arian Foster. But we'll get to that later on. But Joe, oh, good yeah, job. I man. didn't
1: I didn't check out that clip you sent me, but
0: I'm gonna follow up. Mine's a little bit more humorous. It uh, doesn't make me want to go fucking shoot myself, Joe. So that's thanks. funny. You didn't um, think was yeah. okay. yeah, it was funny. Sorry. Yeah, hilarious, bro. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, here, here, here's mine. So, 1979. Rosie Ruiz is she's a 26 year old administrative assistant in New York City. She fills out an application to run in that year's New York City Marathon. On the application, they they ask you, what is your expected finishing time? And she puts her expected finishing time down to be four hours and 10 minutes. But when the race is held, she has a recorded time of two hours, 56 minutes and 29 seconds. And it's the 11th best among the female entrants. At the time, nobody connected to the race or in the media has anything that they think about her result at all. It's nothing really that big. 1953. Rosie Ruiz is born in Havana, Cuba. She moves to Hollywood, Florida with her brother. She lives with aunts and uncles and cousins in 1961. And she falls in love with running during her high school years. It could be maybe to help her escape the loneliness, right? Or cope with the loneliness of not having her parents there or whatnot, being an immigrant, possibly. Eventually, she's going to have knee surgery. and. You know, it's it's gonna pretty much all but end her, her running days and, and not after you know, not long after that, she goes to college and she ends up in a pretty nasty car accident and she ends up with severe headaches and et cetera, right, from these accidents. And she goes to the hospital and, and they find a, a tangerine sized tumor in her brain. Now it's benign though, and they remove it. And she goes to, she, she ends up moving to New York City. While she's there, 1977, she is uh, accused of stealing an acquaintance's credit card and racking up over $15,000 in expenses, right? She pays her back, but the charges are dropped. She starts to get the headaches. They start coming back again, and she goes uh, to have one more surgery on her skull. And they find is that there was a fuck-up the first time. But, you know, they fix it. They fix the whole thing. They put a plastic plate in her head. And by 1979, she's feeling good. She's feeling kind of healthy enough to start running again. And she decides, you know what? She's going to enter the New York City Marathon. Naturally. Because that would be the next thing that somebody does when they first start fucking running again. And New York City Marathon event, yeah, I mean, right? If you don't know, it's 26 miles and 385 yards. So, naturally, that would be, right? Yeah, anybody would do that. And, um... But you know she misses the deadline to register so she she calls the organizers and she pleads with them and she's telling them listen i was in the hospital dying of a brain tumor like please you know and they're like oh well okay you know like what's the worst that happened you, you know um she's obviously she's not going to win right so she goes to the marathon and and she's there and she you know she lines up with the other entrants and um pistol goes off right and it's marking the beginning of the race and and she's off and she gets about eight miles in and she's feeling good man at about mile 10 she realizes something that she's not a fucking marathon runner right that's not what she did she's not good at this right so only 10 miles in that's it yeah right so you know she makes the most obvious move and what would be the most obvious move what do you guys think Go home. She... she cheated.
2: Yeah, she went down an alleyway?
0: She heads for the nearest subway. And uh, she gets on, and she begins to head north towards Central Park, which is where the finish line is. So she's on the train. Now, mind you, she's got, like, the piece of paper on there with the number. You know what I mean? And she's dressed like a fucking runner. And, you know, she starts talking to another passenger, and her name is Susan Morrow. And she happens to be a photographer who is assigned to the marathon. And she's on this subway to also get to Central Park, right? So they're sitting next to each other and uh, you're yeah, making small talk. And Ruiz explains that she, she hurt her ankle. And, uh, and she's just on her way to the finish line to cheer on the other runners as, as they finished. So they walk up together and... Ruiz is walking up next to Morrow, and she's like holding on to her shoulder, and she's limping really bad. And and they get to a certain point, and you know, uh, she's like, "I'm I'm I'm in you know I'm I'm a runner." And Morrow puts over a press thing; she's on with the press, and and they let her through. And as soon as she gets through, she's like, "Look, I'm really hurt. I got I got hurt in the race." And they grab her, and they immediately they escort her to the first a tent. When they get there, they're like, "All right, did you finish?" And she was like yeah yeah i did and they were like okay and they assigned her a a finish time of two hours 56 minutes and 29 seconds which places her 11th in the women's division so her time be good considering she didn't even finish the race right but that's pretty fucking good time though and it's good enough to earn her a spot in the boston marathon so you know bam six months later after her amazing finish non-existent finish in the New York City Marathon. She becomes this, like, hero to her friends and her family, like a local hero around where she lives. And her boss, who is also a runner, offers to pay for her whole stay in Boston. And, you know, needless to say, she digs the notoriety. She's cool with it. She's like, all right, I like this. You know what I mean? Like, going back to her days as a lonely child with no friends, running alone on the streets of Hollywood, Florida, she takes this and and she she runs with it so to speak i guess we could say you know so she knew she knew she had to train for this q80s training montage and and train she did very much pun intended so but she's training for two reasons specifically number 1 she don't want to disappoint anybody you know, she's a hero she finally made something of herself and then two there's no fucking way she was even going to come close to her new york city time and then Once that happens, they all know that she's a fraud. The Boston Marathon has 456 women running that year, many of whom are just outright champions in the sport. There are people who are picked to win. And then there's Rosie. And so a few miles in, again, she realizes, what does she realize?
2: I'm not a marathon runner.
0: She's not a marathon runner. Rosie's Ruiz instincts take over again. And what does she do? She drops off the route and hides in the woods for an hour.
1: <laughs> like, oh
0: my God. I just this visual of her just running and just like hitting the ground and rolling into the woods. <laughs> so she's hiding in the woods for an hour, and and she makes her way again to the nearest subway. And she gets on the subway, and she rides it for another hour. Now, this time, she makes sure that she doesn't really talk to anybody, but she's just riding the subway for an hour over and over again. Now, meanwhile, Jacqueline Garreau, she's a Canadian runner. She's the favorite to win. She had already passed the midway point, and she had a time check at mile marker 21 and at mile marker 24. And the Boston Marathon is... Uh 26 miles and 385 yards, same as the New York City marathon. Everybody's choosing Garot to win, right? So then the crowd, you know, they see the first woman competitor and they're coming around, right? And they're coming towards the finish line. And Jacqueline Garot, who was expected to finish first, is not this woman. But who is this woman? It is our friend. It is our friend Rosie. She ends up being the one who's coming towards the finish line first. Her time, two hours. 31 minutes, 56 seconds. She shaves close to 30 minutes off of her time from the New York City Marathon. Now, if anybody knows anything about fucking running competitively, shaving off 30 minutes.
2: Yeah, that's pretty
1: good.
0: This is fucking miraculous, to say the least. And it actually pegs her as the third fastest marathon time for a woman recorded ever ever oh my god so people immediately obviously started to call bullshit they're all like looking at this like who the fuck is this lady right like what the fuck know, needless to say she's a bit shocked as one would expect but everybody else is frankly including this guy named bill rogers and he's the men's winner so bill goes on record and essentially says look man i looked at her And I knew some shit was up because first off, she's wearing like a a t-shirt that goes from the shoulder down to the elbows. And he's like, no professional wears that because who the fuck would run 26 miles in a regular t-shirt? Number two, she's not an athlete. And number three, she's, she's not a marathon runner. Like people train all year for this. No, that's, that's no, mm -mm, that's not her. Right.
2: Yeah, like she rolled up the couch in her pajamas and won the marathon.
0: Exactly. Like, it's surprising she, she didn't have a pair of flip-flops on or something, you know? So, Rogers goes up to Rosie to congratulate her, and he was like, you know, what, are, what were your splits, right? And if anybody uh, doesn't know what they are, that is the time it takes to run each section of the race. And Rosie's answer to Roger is, what are splits? Ugh. None of the runners reported seeing her especially the ones that uh, had finished the race. So then you have Catherine Switzer. She unofficially runs the race in 1967, and it actually makes her the second woman to ever finish the race. So Switzer is there at the finish line as a race correspondent, and she interviews Rosie. And I have it here. Switzer says, Have you been doing a lot of heavy intervals? Ruiz responds. Um, someone else asked me that. I'm, I'm not sure what intervals are. <laughs> what are they? <laughs> Switzer responds. Well, intervals are track workouts that are designed to make your speed improve dramatically. And if you went from 256 down to 231, one would normally expect that you do a lot of speed work. Is someone coaching you or advising you? Ruiz's answer. Uh, no. I advise myself. <laughs> and laughs. The next day... Ruiz and Rogers are they're, they're set to be interviewed on TV and Rogers goes up to her and he goes, "Look, man, here's your chance to come clean, right? If somebody fucked up or there's anything, you know, any sort of shenanigans happening, like here's your time to to do it. And, and then Ruiz just breaks down, starts crying, right. So Rogers is like, all right, here comes the confession. And Ruiz is like, "No, I won. And it's tears of rage and doubles down on it and starts yelling at him that he, she won.
2: Good for her, man. Good for her. Stick it out.
0: So, yeah, she buys into this 100%. So Rogers is like, oh, fuck. So he goes to the director of the Boston Marathon. His name is Bill Clooney. And he's like, yo, Bill, uh, I'm telling you, man. This ain't, this ain't okay, dude. You need to go figure this shit out. So Clooney goes and he speaks with Ruiz. And Ruiz, again, no bill. I won. I won the race fair and square. You can't tell me that I did. not So then she has this big press conference because there's rumors and, you know, the news and all of these people. I mean, it's starting to become a big thing. Did she cheat? So they put her up on this big press conference. and There's a man named Steve Merrick. Think... The My Pillow guy. This is what he looks like, right? So now she's got the My Pillow guy looking dude up there with her. And he's the only one who's backing Rosie at this point. It's her friend. And incidentally, uh Steve also had been accused of cheating in the New York City marathon by getting into a car and driving to the uh <laughs> the finish line as well. So maybe what is even is
2: this? Like, don't they check for this shit? I don't understand.
0: Well, The New York City Marathon in 1979 had only been happening for nine years. It's a newer type of the Boston Marathon is the oldest one in the United States that had been happening since I believe like 1908 or something like that. So the New York City Marathon, they're still kind of working out the kinks here, you know. So there is this investigation that is launched, and they start looking at all the video footage. Can't find Rosie. There are ten thousand pictures. Can't find Rosie. There's every piece of visual evidence they could find. No Rosie anywhere, right? So again, they start to interview people uh, that finished around her time. No one remembers seeing her. They check the New York City Marathon video of finishes and they can't find her. They can't even find when she crossed finish line. Like they go to two hours, 56 minutes, and they're like, where the fuck is she, right? Remember, she never actually finished, right? And this guy Clooney is like, yo, there's not enough evidence to disqualify her yet. Like, we can't go ahead and strip this woman of her medal yet. Bill's not convinced. The media and all these people are hounding at her, at her house. So then she moved, hoping that the whole thing is just going to, like, just, you know, disappear. Like concussions in the NFL, that type of situation, right? 1980, this guy, Bill Faulkner, he comes out. And he and a buddy went to Kenmore Bridge to watch the end of the Boston Marathon. And he claims to see, in his words, someone, quote-unquote, stumble out of the crowd. Quote-unquote, she was wearing track clothes. I thought she might have been crazy or something. And so Faulkner, like, remembers this, and the next day he sees the pictures of Ruiz, and he realizes that that's who I saw. Like, I got to say something. Susan Morrow, do you remember her? She's the woman that sat next to... On the train. Yeah, yeah. She gets the same kind of thing and she's like, fuck, I talk to her. Like, what the fuck is happening? At this press conference that she was at, uh, the one where the, the my pillow guy vehemently defended. And if you watch the video, like he's like angrily defending her. Like he's like, he's like the my pillow guy, like fucking yelling, right? And the press is just unmerciful towards her. And what does she do? What do you think she does? She triples down. You know what I mean? She just goes right back at them. I won this race. She breaks down in tears. She claims that nobody knew her because she's new. She's not a racing legend. They don't know who I am. I'm new to this sport. Not only that, but they, they, they got it wrong because they think I'm a man because I have short hair. So when they're looking for me... They don't realize that they saw me, but they just thought it was a man. And then she moves to the third excuse of it's just a conspiracy. They don't want me to win. I wasn't one of the favorites. It's rigged. And she goes like at this point, full Donald Trump, which is interesting because she is with the my pillow looking guy. And it's like full circle at this point. And so she's got this press conference. She's crying. The whole works. Enter Fred Lieber. Fred Lieber is the director of the New York City Marathon. This motherfucker knows she cheated. So his plan is to... It's a It's a smart plan. His plan... He, he's and he got to prove that she never finished the New York City Marathon. Thus, that would retroactively disqualify her from getting into the Boston Marathon, in turn invalidating her win. It's like Jenga. He could pull out that one fucking thing and make the whole thing fall, right? But Clooney still hesitates. Clooney's hesitating. He needs all of the evidence, double-checked, triple-checked, quadruple checked. Now, all of this, all of this is happening right after the Boston Marathon, right? So we're look- we're talking eight days, all of this controversy is taking place. Eight days after the Boston Marathon, Fred Lieber gets his wish. He is disqualified from the New York City Marathon, thus invalidating. The Boston results, stripping Ruiz of her medal, except that she refuses to give it back. She said, fuck you, I'm keeping it. They said, fine, fucking keep it. And you know what? Run again next year. Fucking go. Come on. We'll let you run it. Let's go. So she says, no, thanks. So she she gets fired from her job because she said, you know, like, fuck you. I don't need to run it. I want it. Like, why would I need to run it again? Right? I don't need to prove anything to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So she gets fired from her job. She is still claiming. That she has won It's It's few days, uh, you know, even days before the next Mar- Boston Marathon, of course. Like they go back to let's go interview Rosie, and she's like, "I fucking won, damn it!" And uh, you know, it's she's, she's quadrupling down, so she ends up she becomes a a bookkeeper. At a real estate agency, effectively handling all of the the money uh, for the company, because that's exactly what I would hire Rosie Ruiz to do. Pretty much. Yeah, so surprise, surprise when she starts skimming money off the top and starts forging checks and stuff. and Ironically, here's the best part, right? This is where that that beautiful irony comes in. So she's arrested for embezzling $60,000 in 1982 on the day of the Boston Marathon that year she gets arrested for embezzlement. Okay. She gets 1 week in jail, f- 5 years of probation. <laughs> so, what? right. Yes. So, obviously, right, then she moves back to Florida and she she, Rosie ends up living quiet life, right, until she dies uh at the age of 66. No, I'm fucking kidding, man. She recruits two women and then she starts her own cocaine ring um and starts selling coke in Florida. Yeah. And um, she ends up getting fucking busted in 1983 and goes on three years of probation. Is it? Apparently, they just no one ever wants to make her accountable for anything.
2: To for anything.
0: No, no. So, apparently, while she's in Florida, she meets Garo. That's the Canadian lady who was, you know, the favorite to win. And Garo looks at her and she's like, Why'd you do it? And, and Rosie's like, I fucking beat you. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I fucking won.
2: This fucking woman. I love it. It's amazing. This lady is my hero. It's unreal. So, a few years later,
0: she ends up, she meets a woman named Margarita Alvarez. And uh, uh, prior to that, I apologize, 1984, she marries a Colombian guy, has three sons together. They're divorced within two and a half years. She then meets Margarita Alvarez. Two women become best friends. Uh, a little bit further down the line, they become lovers, and they become a couple. They stay together until Ruiz's death on July eighth, two thousand nineteen, at the age of sixty six from cancer. Turns out, she never gave the medal back. She she never admitted to cheating. Uh, however, Merrick, uh, Steve Merrick, that's the My Pillow guy. He eventually admits that she she admitted to him that she cheated. And that when she jumped out and she finished the Boston Marathon, she actually had no idea that no one had yet to finish. She did not plan on winning. But when she got to the finish line and they're like, oh, my God, you won. What was she supposed to say? No, I didn't. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) she just didn't wait long enough. Jumped the gun, going back to prior episode. And blew her load way too quick. If she had waited just a little longer, she probably would have gotten away with it. She could have finished like fifth, sixth, seventh, but she got a little overzealous, did not spend enough time in the woods nor on the train. And she finished way too early, breaking records and winning the fucking marathon, which she had not planned on doing at all.
2: And had to stick to it.
0: Yes, that fellas is the story of Rosie the Runner, Ruiz, and the nineteen seventy-nine Boston Marathon.
1: I love that it. is very interesting story. Very good one.
0: I thought that one was very interesting. Yes,
1: I did.
2: When you when you started and you were talking about it, it reminded me of something, you're talking about, you know, estimated times. And mm-hmm. uh, back in my my training days, going back to my cycling history, I did some triathlons about 10, 12 years ago. And um, the triathlons I did were indoor. Uh, the, the swimming portion was indoor in, a, in an Olympic swimming pool. Okay. The way to do it was you had to report your estimated time on how long it would take you to swim, and that's how they would order you to jump in the pool, right? So, I, I mean, I trained. I was, like, hardcore training, so I knew my time. And I forget, it was maybe five minutes or six minutes for that, that length I had to do. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I positioned myself. But there were these, like, guys who rolled out of bed. They're like, yeah, I, I can do this in four minutes. And they're, like, in front of me. <laughs> and I'm like, like, are you prepared for this? They're like, yeah, I got to <laughs> swim in the swimming pool. Dude. <laughs> Did you really ask him if they're prepared? <laughs> fellas? I'm like, have you been training for like?" The- are you prepared for this? Have you
1: been training properly?
2: <laughs> so what, what would happen is you would jump in, you your time would start, they would wait 30 seconds, the next person would jump in. Now when you're swimming, if you if you haven't done this, you get really tired really fast. So these fat idiots are like <laughs> collapsing in the pool in front of me and I need to swim around them to <laughs> get <meet> my laps. <laughs>
0: Let me ask you, are you wearing like
2: full body suit? The full, full body, body suit?
0: suit. Are they in just like a pair of shorts?
2: Like <laughs> they're in like swim trunks? Like-, <laughs> <laughs>
0: like a pair of Billabong shorts or some shit <laughs> with the fucking rope string in the front.
2: <laughs> but I remember the they're like, yeah, it's i p- I'm just swimming 50 yards or whatever, uh, um, 50 meters or whatever. They're like I can do that in hey, four I minutes. I got it, man. And then halfway through, they're gonna like hang it on the ropes on the side <laughs> of the pool. <laughs> It's oh, oh,
0: boy all right joe i had no idea you had such an extensive sports background man that's awesome thank you well played thank you thank you now joe am i if i'm not mistaken you played lacrosse in high school correct
2: i did play lacrosse in high school yeah until oh. junior year i believe i i actually stopped right as i got on varsity i said you know what all these guys on this team—I'm not going to name names—but I was like, "No, nah, I don't want to be part of this anymore."
0: Mm. I can imagine. I think I know exactly know. who you're talking about.
2: I think you do. Yeah, since mm. we were in the same grade in the same school, I think you know who I'm. Talking yeah, about.
0: I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's so, when I got more into state-
2: music instead. So
1: yeah. All right, Mister Mr., uh, Mr. Mister Doctor, you are up, sir. So I'm gonna. This may be a bit of an education for you, depending on your knowledge of the sport. Um, So, I don't know about you guys, but I had recently got into uh, Formula One racing. No, not me. Not
2: my thing, but okay.
1: You know, I said the same thing. I was like, I don't get it. You're just fucking driving around. Like, what's so cool about it? Then I started getting into it. And what I got into about it was the fact that these guys weren't just driving in a fucking circle to start. So, this isn't NASCAR. It's not NASCAR, yeah. Yep. These guys. Have these are actual courses. Not only just courses, but there's points in which during their season, they literally shut down cities and these guys are driving through the streets.
0: Yeah, I've seen, yes, like in like the Middle East and shit and like Morocco and stuff.
1: The, the, the most famous one of all is in Monaco.
0: Monaco, that's yeah, the Monaco GP.
1: Dude, if you've ever watched the race, like to see these guys flying in these cars through the city, you're like, yo, this is just so cool. Mm-hmm. And the turnout is star-studded. Whole cities shut down. You have yachts and boats all over. People are just everywhere. And It's a really amazing thing just to see. With doing that, I was like, you know what, man? I'm going to go a little bit different. I said, I'm going to do a Formula One story. I don't know how much you guys know about racing. So at any point, if you have questions, i will try my best to answer. I am not, not the best at it. But I'm still kind of new getting into it, but okay. I just find myself just like in awe of watching these guys and the performance and the training get a chance on Netflix airs a series drive to survive. It shows you these guys behind the scenes and the things that are going on and you know, the cutthroat attitude with some of these guys and, there's a lot of really interesting stories that come out of this. And obviously the other thing behind it too is there's a lot of money in this racing. Yeah. This is not a poor man's race. This is multi-billion dollar companies going crazy. Jesus. Um the story I chose is called Spygate. And Spygate was the beginning. So there's Couple of guys that were really involved with it at the time. So I don't know if you've heard of this racer before, but his name is Michael Schumacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows the name Michael Schumacher. Yep. He was an amazing, amazing driver. No, but he actually got into. I think he was in a skiing accident. That's what like, it was. He got fucked up. Yeah. I thought, it. Okay, I got you. Yeah. So he. Uh, oh yeah, I, he's got some trip. He's got some issues. You know the whole extent of how severe. serious CTE. Yeah, Probably. maybe going full circle CTE. The guy um, who's the centerpiece of this whole thing is a man by Nigel Stepney. And Nigel Stepney was the chief mechanic at Ferrari during the years in which Michael Schumacher had won five consecutive championships. Mm. And the things that go into winning championships so there's two different types of champions that are determined each year. Every year, it's determined by the drivers. The drivers have their separate championship. Mm. Then there's the Constructors' Cup. The Constructors' Cup is, for each team, they have two drivers. Whatever their point total is they get for the race, it's a combined score for the team. Okay. And the whole point behind it is, if your team is winning, one, you're going to get more sponsors, and two, at the end of the day, you're getting more money. It's just how it works. Everyone's getting paid out for being successful. you have a guy like Michael Schumacher who now has won five consecutive championships. He is dominating the sport. It's not something you really ever hear of a guy ever winning that many titles in Mm -hmm. a row. In his career, he winds up winning seven world titles and he is tied for all time with the most championship wins. Damn. Yeah. So it tells you just how good of a guy he really, really was. Yeah. So getting back to our main character, Nigel Stepney. So he was the uh, chief mechanic at Ferrari during those times. And then in 2006, the season had just come to an end. The, um, the technical director of the team, this is a guy by the name of Ross Braun, decides that he's going to go out on sabbatical. He's taking a break from the sport, he's probably just a little spent. Dumacher mm-hmm. decides, you know what? I think I'm done. Kicks himself out. He decides he's going to retire. Oh, Stephanie's like, well, you know what? This is my time to shine. No one else is in my way. I've been part of this elite group of guys that have just been so successful for so long. I want to take over. I want to be the main guy. I want to be the technical director now. Okay. So he winds up going for the job, goes for the interview. He gets denied. The reasons behind why he was really denied was the fact that you're talking about Ferrari. Ferrari is obviously an Italian-based team. Yeah. Most of those main positions are always held by, Italian. Italians.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He being an Englishman, He's also the fact that he was a mechanic, and in order to have that position, you need an engineering degree. He's technically, not even qualified for the job. Yeah, went up getting denied, and obviously he felt hurt. Yeah, slighted. Yeah, I mean, listen, you've you've won championships. You've shown them that you are this guy that is a main integral could be going forward. After he gets denied the position, he, um, he does an interview with um, I think it's Autosport and he pretty much discusses how he wasn't happy with the team. He wasn't satisfied with his position mm-hmm. and he, um, he wanted to move forward in his career. And he said that obviously if an opportunity opens somewhere else, he may be interested in it. But Ferrari obviously hears all this and Ferrari's like, Fuck this guy. You, you're going to badmouth us? Yeah. They wind up demoting him. So he winds up becoming their chief from chief mechanic. He now goes to a position of the head of performance development, essentially pulling him out of the garage on the racetrack and kind of putting him back at the factory to work. Wow. Obviously, he, he gets pissed. He's like, I don't deserve this. Mm-hmm. So then we now fast forward to this. That interview happens in February. Now we'll fast forward to the Monaco Grand Prix, the one we were talking about before. The day before the race, and they notice that there's some white powder found in and around the fuel tank for the Ferrari car. Obviously, you know, people are like, what the fuck is this?
0: Cocaine.
1: (laughs) Could you imagine? That's how it was. They go back, they look at the tape. Obviously, listen, you're a multi-million dollar company. You're going to keep an eye on your vehicles that are worth a lot of money. Yeah, of course, yeah they go back, they check the tape, and they see Stepney kind of lingering around, being very suspicious, kind of looking around. They then have the cops pretty much lock down the whole facility and they searched everybody. What do they find? But in Nigel Stepney's pocket, there is a white powder. Later on, they found that the powder in his pocket matched the same one in and around the car. Mm -hmm. Stepney's response was, wasn't me. I was set up. <laughs> okay. Sure. We'll, we'll we'll play with we'll keep going. With <laughs> Please do tell sir, do tell. So then in June of 2007, Ferrari decides to file a lawsuit against Stephanie. So with that, the police decide to go and search his home. Besides on him, they also found it at his home after they found it on him there. Mm-hmm. They did search his home and they found more of the powder there. Yeah. To clarify all that, now after Ferrari has now filed a lawsuit against him, they wind up searching his home again, thinking that, listen, what else has this guy got going on? He's got to be doing something else. And they had a a good suspicion about it. So they wind up going back there, and they wind up finding a document printed from his laptop, and it's actually the team's intellectual property about all the information about their car. So not only they find this, they actually were just not happy. And there's a lot there's a lot that goes into it. Because it, it gets even more interesting the fact that they've now found this document there. They're like, okay, why? Why do you why'd you print this? It's seven hundred and eighty page document. Why is it printed? He's gonna sell that shit. So officially on july third, he is fired from Ferrari because of this. On july tenth, Ferrari announces that they are having a um a court hearing with another guy by the name of Michael Coughlin. Now, Michael Coughlin was the team director at McLaren, Mm. who is Ferrari's major rival at that moment in time. These two teams are just going at it. So the Ferrari requests, obviously an affidavit from this guy. Listen, we know you're somewhat involved with this. Something's going on, but they don't know what. So it winds up happening, and we wind up finding out a few days prior to them actually requesting that affidavit, this woman walks into a copy shop, copy, photocopy, not a coffee, Yeah, a yeah. copy shop, and says to the guy, listen, I have this document. I need it put onto a CD. The guy was like, yeah, no problem. Didn't think anything of it.
2: Was this document 700 something pages long? <laughs>
1: oh, <wait. laughs> I'm curious. It's on five CDs. So the guy doesn't think anything of it until he brings it behind... And starts working on it. And he realizes the bottom logo in the right-hand corner is the Ferrari emblem. Mm. So then he looks at the thing, at the paper, and he's like, who is this woman? Why does she have this document? So he does a Google search, finds out her name. Her name, because it's on the paperwork for the copy, her name is Trudy Coughlin. Who's Trudy Coughlin? Well, just so happens, her husband, team director at McLaren. McLaren is right down the road from where the, where the copy shop is. The guy ah. working at the copy shop, this is where it gets real interesting. The guy at the, at the copy shop just so happens to be a Ferrari fanatic. So what does he do? He literally goes online, Google searches, who's the, who's in charge? Who's the main guy over at Ferrari? <laughs> I'd like to talk to Mr. Ferrari, sir. <laughs> the, the, the guy that's in charge is by the name of Stefano Domenicali. So then now brought to the attention that, hey, someone has got your information in my copy shop. <laughs> right now. Right now. I'm holding it. <laughs> after that happens is when they said, well, listen, Ferrari's like, well, we want an affidavit. We want to know your story. What's your story? So the police wind up issuing a search warrant to Coughlin's residence. They found the documents there. And after them finding it there, he knew he was, he was caught. Yeah, he's fucked. So he literally says, listen, I will 100% work with you. I'm not going to fight you. Whatever I can do to help you get through this, I will do. I'll answer any questions that you have. Okay, great. We have someone that's going to work with them. Meanwhile, Ferrari's pissed. They're so pissed that all their information is now out there. The FIA, which is the governing body of Formula One. Okay. They pretty much said, okay, well, they said to McLaren, what's going on? McLaren says, well, we're, we're going to perform an internal investigation to s- determine if any of this information has actually been used <laughs> if anybody had knowledge of the information. We'll police ourselves, don't worry. Exactly. So, sure enough, nope. Nobody knows anything about it. <laughs> we're no all clear. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's
2: good here. <laughs> no problems. <laughs> Sounds like the NFL, too.
1: Sounds like the NFL and their CTE protocols. Yes, exactly. Because there was no way of tying McLaren to the information that was in these documents, they pretty much said, well, listen, we can't do anything. Mm. We can't prove that they knew about it or not because there's nothing there that says that they did. They didn't make any information, you know, known about what was being done in the cars. They said, there's nothing we could do. Ferrari's just fucking pissed. They're like, this is insane. Let's fast forward a little bit. So on August 1st, the team director over at... Uh, one of the top guys over at um, McLaren by the name of Ron Dennis, and accuses Ferrari of cheating at the first race of the year. So Ferrari's like, what? What do you mean? So apparently, Stepney and Coughlin have been friends. A lot of these guys all know each other. Yeah. Stepney actually emailed Coughlin and said to him about a mechanism that was in the Ferrari car that didn't match the FIA regulations. And essentially, Ferrari was technically cheating. But the only way you would know that is if you had the manual. So Ferrari was still pissed. They're just like, they're losing their shit. (laughs) Just when you think that it's about to fizzle out and there's no way to tie it all together, there is a Hungarian Grand Prix, which is a few days after that all happened. So there's a young driver, it's his rookie season, and his name is Lewis Hamilton. And if you know anything about Lewis Hamilton right now, He is probably one of the most dominating guys in the sport right now. This was his rookie season, and he was having Mm. a season like no one has ever seen. This guy was coming on to the scene like, who is this kid, and how is he so good? Yeah. You wind up learning at this point now, we're in 2022, Lewis Hamilton has won seven world championships. He has matched what Michael Schumacher has done. Nobody else. Just those two guys are tied for the most wins of all time. So it just tells you how good of a guy this actually yeah, was that's you know, such a young and age. where he started with his career.
2: And who does he race for?
1: At this point in time, he was racing for McLaren.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Okay. He won, a lo- he won all of his championships with Mercedes. Okay. Fucking traitor. So we're going into qualifying. Do you guys understand? Do you know what qualifying is by any chance? Nope. I'm
0: not, not clue. Joe, back in your, your racing days, you, you know...
2: I don't know if I told you. (laughs) So, (laughs)
1: Qualifying is the day before the main race. And what it is, is essentially each guy is given about 10 to 15 minutes. And your job is to go out there and post the best time you can in a lap. And the top... That give you a better pole spot? Exactly. So the, the first round is all 20 cars. Whoever has the five lowest times, they automatically drop out. Then you go to qualifying two. So now you have 15 cars going around. Gotcha. Whoever has the top 10 times, they stay in and they go to wow. qualifying three. So we now get to Q3 or third qualifying round. And Lewis Hamilton is actually in front and Fernando Alonso, his teammate, who's another very successful driver. He actually has just won the past two championships right before um, actually after Schumacher stopped winning. Fernando Alonso was the next guy that had won the next two seasons. So now coming into it, he's the defending champion. And he's got this young kid who's now stealing his thunder. Mm. He's coming on the scenes. And everyone Ah. is like, who is this? Meanwhile, um, so now they're qualifying. And you have to make sure that you have enough time, obviously, to post a lap. So generally what these guys like to do is they like to come in, get a fresh set of tires right before, you know, two minutes, two minutes, 30 seconds, depending whatever that lap time is. That way you can get around and post your best time because you want to get pole position. Pole position is first place. You want to be at the front of the grid. Generally, that helps you with race, obviously. In front gives you a big advantage. Fernando Alonso winds up getting into the pit lane first. Lewis Hamilton goes behind him. Fernando Alonso is now sitting there, and he's waiting. You tell him he's clear to go. He waits 20 seconds before he even goes. And essentially, winds up backing up Lewis Hamilton. By backing him up, he doesn't have enough time to get back out there and post another time to actually finish qualifying round. So he has no posted time. Hmm. So Fernando Alonso wants to post an, an immaculate run. Boom, pole position. His teammate is pissed. He's like, screwed me over, dude. Yeah, big time. So. so the FIA, which is, it's interesting because they investigate it. Anytime there's an action or something going on in the race that they have suspicion about, They investigate it right then and there. They look at the tape and they make a decision right during the race. Right after the race, they look and they see what he did. So they said to him, well, you held him up. You stopped him from being able to go out there and run the race. So you're going to be penalized. You're now going to start at 6th on the grid. From pole position all the way back to 6th, you're now at a disadvantage and you're a defending champion. Like You want that win. Yeah, Fernando Alonso is pissed. He's so pissed. The morning of the race, he meets with Ron Dennis, who's the out of McLaren. And he says, "Listen, I want you not to fill Lewis Hamilton's gas tank enough that way he runs short and he won't be able to finish the race." That's
0: some cutthroat shit.
1: Yeah. So, Brad, you're teammates. You're I'm supposed there. to be working together, but you yeah. see how cutthroat it is because yeah. it's all about what you can do. Ron Dennis is like, "You fucking threatening me?" <laughs> yeah. Like, "Listen, if you don't do it, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell them I knew all about everything that was happening with the document from Ferrari."
0: That's some blackmail shit.
1: It is. Well, sorry. So Ron Dennis goes to the head of the the governing body and says, listen, he just threatened me with this and that. And the guy was just like, there's nothing I can do.
0: <laughs> this governing body who investigates everything, their answer to everything is,
1: ah, yeah, I see it, but there's just nothing oh, I can do about they, it. So what they said was, they actually reached out to the guys, the drivers right after the race, and he said to him, listen. If you guys have any information, we want you to come forward with it. If you don't come forward with it, you will be penalized. If you come forward, we won't bother you. Yeah. So the guys, so there's two main drivers, then you have a backup driver. And sure enough, Bernardo Alonso comes forward with all this information. And there is the backup driver. They literally had a conversation that was actually from the two drivers. This is an actual message from one driver to the other. And he said, all the information from, for, from Ferrari is very reliable, and it comes from Nigel Stepney, their former chief mechanic. I don't know what, he, uh, what post he holds now, but he's the same person that told us in Australia about Kimi Raikkonen, who was the driver for Ferrari at the time, mm-hmm. stopping at lap 18. He's very friendly with Michael Coughlin, our chief designer. Mm. It's all there. It There's all the name. Just, all confirmed. The cheating and everybody. Yeah, knew what was and his
0: wife connected with the with the papers.
1: Then that makes
0: sense. Then right.
1: so wow, the FIA—they're very quick about making up their mind. They know exactly exactly how they're going to handle this. So all this stuff was reported to them on September 5th. There was a total of 288 text messages and 35 phone calls between Coughlin and Stepney that they had gathered from everybody. So long story short, this is how it ends. September 13th. Mind you, eight days. It's all it took for them to figure out how to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. They literally said to McLaren, You guys are disqualified the entire season. Wow. Your points are removed. You guys cannot win the Constructors' Championship. But your drivers were very nice and they worked with us. They gave us all the information that we needed. J- these drivers can continue to compete for the Drivers' mm-hmm. Championship. Okay. At least it's still a win for the guys. Who would then most likely be fired? <laughs> Claren, <laughs> wouldn't they? Like, you know what I mean? But, you, but then you're, you're now going after these guys, and the only thing they were doing was just being honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And not only would were they we're now removed from the Constructors' Championship, Claren is actually hit with the largest fine in professional sports history of a $100 million fine.
2: Wow. wow. That's a good statistic. The largest ever. That's fucking crazy. When was this, 2007, 2008? 2007. 2007, okay. Damn.
0: And it was just for that season? Yes. Now, do you know like, the next season
1: they were allowed into the Constructors' Cup, did they win? I think what happened was they were... I don't know the exact thing if they were able to compete the following year because they weren't sure if the information that they had now gotten yeah. could have used in their car going forward. Because yeah. even as the season starts, okay, so we actually today was the first day that the first car for the new season has just come out. Car is done. It will make adjustments on the car throughout the season, but at the end of the day, with Formula 1, the reason they call it Formula 1 is there is one formula that all the teams have to follow and have to meet this criteria. So it's then your own variations of that formula. Okay. Essentially, once rules are made, they start working really for the next car. It it takes them so long to build these cars. Yeah. Run all the testing and that's where all the money goes into is putting it back into the
0: car and D and all that shit. Okay.
1: Exactly. So now, it, you know, being hit with that fine, not being able to win any money, it's a huge blow to the team. Yeah. So now we go to the last race of the year. Lewis Hamilton is, I think he was in the lead. Right behind him was Fernando Alonso. Lewis Hamilton had to finish fifth or above in order to win the championship in his rookie season. Wow. The driver for... Ferrari, his name is Kimi Raikkonen, who's in third. Going to the last race of the year. Lewis Hamilton has an issue with the car. He winds up, I think, retiring from the race. No, actually, no. I think he finished like like seventh or eighth. Boom. he Couldn't win. Finishes with 109 points for the Mm. season. Fernando Alonso finishes third. He finishes with 109 points on the season. Tied his teammate. Yeah. Kimi Raikkonen winds up winning the race. Gets the most points. Finishes the season. 110 points. Oh, he beat him by one one point. Damn. But at the end of the day, Ferrari wins the driver's cup, and they automatically win the constructor's cup because McLaren was so far ahead. Being removed, Ferrari won it all. Didn't won it all wow. wow. <laughs> There's the karma. Bravo. That. Wow. Cool that is a very fucking cool, cool story. Man. I like that. I hope you can appreciate it, even though you're not a, a racing fan. And listen, man, I was not at all. Really? I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And you start reading this shit, and you're like, "Yo, man, this is this is like amazing stuff." And it's
0: it's so some, cool to watch. Seriously, some backroom, back fucking,
1: back alley yeah. shit right there.
2: You like, you think of a team, and you have these people fucking backstabbing each other, threatening each other. Yeah. And- yeah.
1: So to this day, Fernando Alonso is still racing. Um, it was Hamilton, still racing. These two men, to this day, hate each other. <laughs> they despise each other. There's been, I mean, even this past season, I remember they were getting into it on, on the track at times, and you could see when they're going at each other, and they're like, like, oh, dude, you're, like, you're just cringing. You're like, oh, dude, just don't end up in a wall or something, man. Like When you watch these races and you see these guys fighting for position, it's, it's intense because the slightest move, if that wheel drags the wrong way, boom! Someone's flying right past you. Yeah, yeah. If you get a chance, check out the Netflix show. It will definitely explain things a lot better about the sport. I hope you do because, to me, it really opened my eyes a lot to it. And I honestly, I love it. That's, I'm behind football at this point, that's fucking cool. Very cool.
0: All right, not bad. All right, so can we get a a few uh, honorable mentions real quick? Um, I'll start us off. 2000 Spanish Paralympic Scandal. Uh, anybody come across this?
2: No.
1: I did. I originally was going to start doing that. I was like, that's an interesting one. And then I came across the Formula One. So, Mike, you came across I like, this then? It did. I started reading into it. I'm like, really? Like People are cheating at that? Yes. They, uh,
0: <laughs> Spain put together a, a basketball team and entered them into the Paralympics and played other countries' intellectually handicapped basketball teams. And Spain beat the shit out of all of them with non-developmentally disabled individuals and just fucking cheated at the fucking Paralympics. Oh, my God. That's fucking unbelievable. And uh, the quote-unquote, the scandal broke in November 2000 when Carlos Ribagorda a member of Spain's gold winning medal gold medal winning intellectually handicapped basketball team in Sydney claimed that he and other athletes in categories such as track and field, table tennis, and swimming they were not mentally deficient. Not only was it just the basketball team, but there was multiple sports that uh, they they cheated in, and so it's almost like the movie The Ringer uh, with with Johnny Knoxville. It's like yeah. pretty pretty fucking similar to that. So. Way to go, you fucking scumbags, uh, the Spanish <laughs> pa- pa- Paralympic fucking games in 2000. That's one. Um, yeah, so very, very briefly. Uh, Mike, you got a brief uh, honorable mention?
1: I do. I, you know, and in this one, I was—I started going after some of the individuals that I remember reading about um, when I was a kid. And being a Yankee fan, I always was very intrigued by the players. And then it's like you hear some stories, and you're like, is this really true? So the the first one I got was a man by the name of Luis Polonia. Yes, he played for the Yankees. Yes, yes, he was a uh, leadoff man. was. Well-known. He played, uh, let's see, he was in the league from 87 to 2000. Mm -hmm. 13-year career in professional sports. Won two championships. Um, So in 1989, he was actually found guilty. Of having sexual intercourse with an underage girl. Oh no! Yeah, he said I made a mistake and I'm really sorry for it. This is this Damn, tells you also please. how far we've really come as a society. Yeah. Was sentenced. Was sentenced to 60 days in jail. No way. And had to pay a fine of fifteen hundred dollars. Okay. What f- are you? This is in the U.S. Wow! 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 wow. That's. Oh, yeah. Milwaukee County judge then ordered him to pay a fine of $10,000. Oh, that was it. Okay. And the girl was 15 years old.
0: Jesus fucking Christ.
2: Mm.
1: That's yeah.
0: insane. I was
1: like, wow. Oh, fuck. Like,
0: yeah, never heard that part of the story.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was like, wow. I'm like, that's some dark, dark stuff. I remembered him from when I was a kid watching the Yankees and they were terrible back in the day. So all right, I got I got a baseball one. Uh, you've got
0: July fifteenth, nineteen ninety four. He is uh, Albert Bell is playing, uh, and he's he he gets challenged by the White Sox manager Gene Lamont, who had been tipped off that Albert Albert Bell is using a corked bat. Right, so they call over the Umps, they grab it right, they confiscate the the bat. And they lock it away to be inspected later on. Okay? Now, the Indians, they know Albert Bell's bat is court, right? So there's, they're fucked, right? They know he's fucked. And there's no way for him to escape punishment if the bat is examined. So what do they do? They go to the bullpen. They bring in the righty, Jason Grimsley. He is their leaf pitcher. They say, yo, Grimsley, we need you to go get that fucking bat. So Grimsley climbs into the ceiling. Uh, with a flashlight in his mouth like John motherfucking McLean, and he crawls along the tiles of the clubhouse until he's above the umpire's room. He hops down on a refrigerator. He swaps out the bats. He climbs back up. This is fucking absurd.
2: This is during a
0: game? This is during the (laughs) game. He goes on an hour and a half mission, right? So it's either, right, how much... You know, the Indians, uh, how much Bell means to the Indians, or just how fucking dumb Grimsley is. Problem, though, is every single one of Albert Bell's bat were corked. So he brought like one bat <laughs> to swap out. But he's got like six.
2: You got six more of
0: them, anyway. So the other problem that he does is the bat that he's got to swap out, it belongs to Paul Sorrento, right? Who, who has his name on the bat. <laughs> and also the, the fact that he left all the ceiling tiles scattered all over the floor in the umpire's room. So they're like, what the fuck happened? So it's pretty obvious what happens. So the Chicago police uh, and former FBI agent were called in to examine the scene. Became clear that the Indians were fucked. The, uh, the American League uh, threatens to bring in the FBI in further, right, to investigate even more Cleveland clay, uh, caves, and they produce Albert Bell's bat to prevent further punishment. Uh, they x-rayed the bats. They saw them in half. Um, they knew, obviously, right away he was fucking corked. Was, uh, he's suspended. Now, yeah, and it goes, right? It goes to, to what it was like years ago in 1994. He gets suspended 10 games. And has it reduced on appeal to seven games. And um, ultimately, though, the irony of the situation, none of it would matter because in 1994, the season is canceled due to the strike. Oh,
2: true that. Wow. All
1: that work. All all that
0: work for nothing. Yeah, but Grimsley, on the other hand, he's going to go on. He's going to pitch for the Yankees. And uh, he revealed his role in a plot in the New York Times. Uh, that's where he tells about it. And later, Grimsley would be busted for PEDs. Uh, in 2018, Bell is arrested for D, uh, DUI and uh, indecent exposure. Um, there you go. So that's how that works. He wow. was trying to show Burst. his corked pat to other people. <laughs> <laughs> And then I got got one more real quick. If you've never seen this one, Joe Negro, a famous pitcher, a uh, brother of Phil Negro, look it up. If you want to look up, uh, go to YouTube, look up Joe Negro Emery board. And 1987, Negro is just throwing an ungodly, filthy slider. And the umpires have had enough. And they're like, fuck that. What the fuck are you doing? So they grab the ball. And they start, like, looking at it, and they're rubbing it, and they're like, what the fuck is going on? And um, so they go, and they start searching him, and they're like, empty your pockets out. you got to watch this video on fucking YouTube. It's hilarious. So he reaches both of his hands into his pockets, and he pulls them out. And as he pulls his hands out, right, he and he starts to bring his hands up like I don't have anything, he tosses the emery board with sandpaper I've seen this, actually? To yeah. the side of the mound. I remember this now. The umpire looks right at it, picks it up. And as the umpire picks it up, Negro goes to like ask for it back. And they're like, uh, what the fuck is this? And so he's like, no, 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 I'm a knuckleball pitcher. I got to keep my nails filed down uh, really low. Uh, so there we go. That's why I had it. And they're like, yeah, okay, buddy. And in fact, uh, I believe the umpire's name was Sal Palermo. He comes out, and in his, in his own words, and I quote, this guy was so blatant, it was like a guy walking down the street carrying a bottle of booze during Prohibition, you know? And um, <laughs> that's how it was uh, talked about. And Palermo, later on, will actually have to retire because there was a robbery, and he jumped in front of a woman uh, during the robbery and was shot in the back and took a bullet for this woman. And oh, wow. ended his yeah, ended his uh, career as a uh, as as a major league umpire. And so Palermo apparently was one of the good ones. Uh from you know, very well respected around the league and took a bullet for uh, for somebody. So
1: interesting. I got another one for you. Um gonna go back to an old Yankee, a Yankee fan. Um, there was a pitcher by the name of Stephen Howe or Steve Howe. Steve Howe, yep. yep. Okay, so Steve Howe. Uh was the 1980 NL rookie of the year. He was a big motherfucker too. Yeah. He uh wind up recording a career. Sorry, I'm just trying to figure out how many saves he had. He had 91 saves in 497 games. Array of 3.03 mm. pitcher. Solid. Let's get to the dark part of this dude. Um he had a career in which he was plagued with alcohol and cocaine abuse. Mm. Um he was in a substance clinic in 1983, had relapsed, and actually was suspended the entire 1984 season. In his total of 17 years in MLB, he was suspended seven times. Wow. And I, I feel like that has to be a record of some yeah, sort. Yeah, that's, that was like Jesus seven Christ. Times. Think of any guy getting suspended more than once nowadays. I'm like, yo, that guy would be out of the league. In yeah, the time. if it happens like twice at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jesus, Trevor Bauer. I don't know if he'll ever play again.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's fast forward to the end. He actually, in uh, April of 2006, in his pickup truck, he rolled it and he was killed in a car accident. He was not wearing a seatbelt, uh, so always wear your seatbelt. And the toxicology reported that he had methamphetamines in his system. On the time of death.
0: On uh, on that note, um, this one's not much of a scandal, but it's a pretty fucking awesome story. Doc Ellis. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Doc Ellis. He was a pitcher. And on June 12th, 1970, Doc Ellis throws a no-no. And if you don't know what a no-no is, it is a no-hitter. He goes on uh, later to tell the story about the no-no and how he was on quite a bit of LSD and <laughs> threw a perfect, uh, I'm sorry, a no-hitter uh, on Acid. Um, and if you haven't ever checked it out, again, go to YouTube, type in Doc Ellis No-No, and they actually have, uh, it's, it's all animated, like in a cartoon version of it. And it's narrated by Doc Ellis, and it's fucking amazing. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious.
2: That's one of those great baseball lores that, like, you, yeah, uh, you're like, is that real? real? And it was real. Yes,
0: and apparently the made, uh, MLB has the only recording of that game, and they have sealed it in a vault and will not let anybody see it. Uh, because, I mean, apparently if you're watching it, I mean, if you know anything about LSD, you know when someone's on acid. And uh yeah, it's apparently it's pretty obvious. Like Doc tells the story. He's like, I threw the ball like four feet in front of me and it bounced. I was bouncing the ball like three feet in front of the plate. I didn't know what was happening. I couldn't see the faces, I didn't know what was happening. And all I heard was my third baseman coming over and saying, Man, you're throwing a no-no. He was like, Man, I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> he's like, I hit like four batters. <laughs> But oh my god. Nobody got a hit because he wasn't throwing the ball anywhere near the strike zone. I just He was like, there was a time where they they had a ground ball in the first baseman and I ran over and I caught it like a ballerina in the air. I think uh, I think we tapped it out. I think we did a fucking great job. We we hit it hard, right? And yes. um all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. There is more history than What's in the books, all right? Stay out there, stay you, stay weird, and adios, fuckers.